Well, I am excited to dig into the third and final week of our series, Always On, as we've been talking about life and faith in the digital age. But before we jump into this message, I want to make sure that everybody who's part of our church, and if you're live at one of our campuses at South Lake, West Fort Worth, or North Richland Hills, or maybe if you're joining us online, I want you to know what we're planning next week. Just a little sneak peek. We are starting a brand new series next week called rescued. And we're going to talk in the weeks leading up to Easter weekend, we're going to talk about what Jesus rescued us from and what he rescued us for as we walk through the book of Galatians. It's going to be some really good stuff. Our senior teaching pastor, Rick Ashley, will be back in the pulpit to kick that series off next week. And I know he's got some really, really good stuff for us to hear. So be sure to join us for that as we start that new series. Also, before we get into the message, uh, this whole series has started a lot of good conversations. I've loved uh, hearing from so many of you about, about the conversations that this has started in your, uh, in your life and in your family and in different friendships and relationships and in marriages. And, uh, and at the same time, I've heard some folks kind of say like, man, I'm just kind of overwhelmed and looking for ways to begin to work through and apply some of this. So I have a resource for you this week. It's actually in this week's bulletin, so if you have that, If you open that up, on the inside, you're going to see uh, what we're calling a better off guide. It is a seven-day digital detox. Just think of this as like an experiment, a way to apply some of this in very basic ways. And uh, day one actually starts tonight. I'm going to try this, uh, me and my family, and so I'd invite you to to be on this journey as well. And day one's really simple. Uh, We're going to disconnect from screens for the last two hours of the day. So just put your phone away two hours before you go to bed. You may hear that and think, oh, that's pretty simple. Okay, then do it. See how it goes. Uh, we're we're going we're gonna to give it a shot and let God kind of show us some of these rhythms. And maybe the whole goal is to be a little bit more present with God in the life he has given us and begin to apply some of what we talked about this series. And if you are somebody who maybe you're always, uh, or maybe right now you're on call, or maybe you travel for work, uh, or maybe you have some other circumstances uh, for health or situations in your family uh, that, that mean you have to be near a device that needs to be on. Look, I hope you receive this guide in the spirit in which it's intended as a way to experiment with healthier rhythms uh, and that you may have to adapt a little bit, but I still think it's worth pursuing. The other thing is I did a lot of reading for this series, and, uh, and so I just had two quick book recommendations if you want to dive deeper on this because I know in three weeks we can only do so much. If, uh, if you are a parent, um, for families, the book that I would recommend, if I could only recommend one, would be Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family. Uh, it was one that I, I found started a lot of uh, good conversations and has some really, really great insights, some good research, The TechWise Family. And for, uh, for really for anybody else, for any, any student, for, for any, uh, any grad student, for any uh, single professional, or even if you're, you're married, wherever you're at in life, I would recommend the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. That was my personal favorite as I was doing some of this research, and it, it challenged me and gave me a lot to think about. Um, so those are the resources and recommendations. Now we're actually going to get into the message. If you are brand new, I know it may feel a little weird showing up and feeling like, man, I'm here at the end of the series, but really this is a great week for you to be here. We've been talking about the fact that technology is a gift from God. The goal has not been that this would be a three-week guilt trip. And that as God has given us the gift of technology, we've been talking about the fact that that's supposed to serve his purpose for our lives. And so we've let Jesus remind us of our key purposes We've been coming back again and again to Mark 12, and today, live at all of our campuses, let's read these words together. 
Jesus said this is what's most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus, in a complicated world, makes it really simple. Love God and love others. Last week, we talked about loving God with all that we are and and how we interact with the Lord. And this week, we're going to talk about how we love others and how the screens and smart devices in our life can help or hinder that pursuit. And as Jesus brought up both of these commands over and over again in his ministry, he talked about how important they were, how foundational they are for how we approach life. There in Mark 12, he says, no commandments greater. In Matthew 22, he puts it like this, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, meaning if you were going to sum up everything that God wants for us, it comes back to loving him and loving others. When in the Gospel of Luke, these two commandments come up in conversation, Jesus goes so far as to say, do this and you will live. For Jesus, loving God and loving others wasn't just a way of life, it was a way to the best kind of life, the life that God really intends for us. And it's interesting that as Jesus talks about loving others, which he does a lot through his ministry, as he talks about this in the Gospel of John, Towards the end of his ministry, he's kind of having a a, a final meal with his disciples before he's going to give his life and die on the cross. And his words hold a lot of weight in this conversation. And all of a sudden, he talks about loving others, but he takes it further than just loving your neighbor as you love yourself. He changes the frame of reference. In John 13, this is what Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now that is a short statement with huge implications. Jesus says, if you want to understand love, if you want to pursue love, don't use just your neighbor and their wants or needs as a frame of reference. Don't just use what you would want someone to do for you. Take it beyond that and look at how I love people. Basically for Christians, if you're taking notes, love looks like Jesus. That as Jesus followers, if we want to understand how God defines and shows and exemplifies love, we look at Jesus, at his life, at his teachings, at his example. This happens over and over in the writings of the earliest Christians, that they don't use other people to compare, but for instance, in the letter to a group in Ephesus, Paul the apostle writes and says, husbands, love your wives, and he doesn't compare to other husbands, he says, as Christ loved the church. Use Jesus as your frame of reference. When he, the Apostle Paul writes to a group in Corinth about generosity, he doesn't, he doesn't compare and say, hey, you need to give like these other churches. He talks about Jesus, who, though he was rich, made himself poor. Jesus becomes, for us, the frame of reference of what love is supposed to look like. And so Jesus taught a lot about how to love others, showed a lot about how to love others. And he said things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who curse you. That's a Jesus kind of love, which side note, in an election year, I'm gonna bet there's gonna be some opportunities to put that into practice, okay? Jesus talks about doing to others what they would want done, what you'd want done to you. Jesus talks and models a kind of service and a kind of love, and as I started thinking, what was the defining mark of how Jesus loved others? And I think 
when you look at the Gospels, one of the defining marks that we need to reclaim in the digital age was that Jesus was present. It was out of love that Jesus was present, first and foremost, to the world. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son. Jesus came present to the world out of love. The Gospel of John says that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus was not just a messenger. He was God in the flesh. It wasn't just another prophet. He was the divine incarnate. Like, this is one of the most foundational things Christians believe, that God took on human form. And in love, Jesus came and was present to the world. But then beyond that, you look at his specific life and his relationships, and you realize Jesus was present to his community. He had this group of 12 followers that he chose, and over and over again, they did the kind of things that if if they were my 12 followers I was supposed to invest in, I would be embarrassed by them. I'd be frustrated with them. And they mess up, and they put their foot in their mouth, and they act out, and they, they ask dumb questions, and they do dumb things. And over and over again, Jesus does not give up on them, but he's committed to them. He's present with them. He teaches them. He eats with them. He lives with them. He shares life with them. He's present to his community, even as he was present to the world. But also, over and over again in the Gospels, as Jesus shows love to others, he is present to the moment, to each and every place he is. So many times when he is walking or heading somewhere and he is interrupted, and it's a lot of times, and all of a sudden in those interruptions, he turns and he is present to that person, to their specific needs, to their questions, to their hurts. And sometimes he heals And sometimes he just speaks with them, sometimes he teaches them, sometimes he rebukes them, but he is always present in the moment. Jesus models for us a love for others that is not distracted, but it's present. And as I've started to reflect on my life and on the patterns for so many of us, one of the great pitfalls of the digital age is that we have lost the art of presence. That we are waning in our ability to be where we are. Because, as we've talked about, man, when you've got infinity in your pocket, when it seems like there's screens almost everywhere that we go, when something else is always on to listen to or to watch, it's just, it's easy. Sometimes on accident to just have our attention diverted. And other times, if we are more honest, it also becomes a convenient way to avoid people around us we'd rather not talk to or rather not spend time with. So sometimes it's a crutch to avoid. Maybe it's the roommates being a jerk or you're having a fight with your spouse and so you just, you just go and you turn on the TV to avoid talking. Maybe it's you're, you're at the restaurant and uh, man, the kids are kind of acting up and it's frustrating and, and you notice there's a game on at the bar and you just kind of divert your attention there and just avoid the situation. Other times it's you're around a group of people that you'd just rather not talk to them. You're kind of stuck at maybe some kind of a, a company get-together and there's that awkward moment. You're like, man, I don't, I don't know these people very well. I don't even like talking to them. And then boom, out comes the phone. There's tons of things to which we can escape. And it's funny, here in the digital age, we have a socially acceptable way to avoid people. 
And the challenge is, even though it might be socially common or even acceptable, that doesn't make it Christ-like. So, as we think about loving others and being present the way Jesus was, a couple diagnostic questions we can ask ourselves. Do I commonly turn to screens to avoid people around me? Does my use of screens improve in-person relationships? Does it serve the people I'm actually close to and see in person? And it can sometimes through an encouraging text or through an extra phone call or a FaceTime. Like it can serve in a good way, but other times it becomes a way that we undermine in-person relationships because we build pseudo-relationships online, pseudo-connections with people we never see in person. Here's a heavier question. Do I turn to screens to escape the life God has given me? Because in today's age, we have unprecedented access into other people's lives and into other content and into shows we can stream. And we can take the office with us wherever we go. There's always work to be done. We have unprecedented access to so many different things. But The challenge is, all of that access often comes at the cost of presence and costs whether or not we're actually with and focused on and seeking to love the people that are right around us. And inadvertently, that this creates, in many, many cases, this creates the illusion of connection, especially on social media, in a way that doesn't really satisfy You know, there was a a study done where over a thousand participants quit Facebook for one week. And during that one week when they they quit using Facebook, they reported significant increases in their level of satisfaction. Color me surprised. (laughs) When you're not constantly living in comparison to everyone else's highlight reel, no wonder you begin to be a little bit more satisfied with the life God has given you. Not only that, but in the same study, they discovered that frequent social media users were more likely than those who use it less often to feel angry, depressed, and worried. Now, correlation is not causation, meaning sometimes we have a life that is frustrating and is depressing and causes us to be angry, and so we go to social media to escape. And other times, we have a life where we're just bored and we end up on social media and it makes us feel those things. It's a little bit of both. But the challenge is that those relationships, those connections by which people far away that we most likely don't really spend a lot of time with are not very invested in, like it gives this false sense of connection and even intimacy because of how much access we have to people's lives. But the problem is that often doesn't play out or come to fruition in real life. I read an article in the New York Times, it was this uh, reporter, and uh, he, he decided he was going to try an experiment. His name is Hal. He, had, he was very proud that he had 700 Facebook friends. And so he decided with those 700 friends online, I'm going to pick a night, pick a bar, and invite them all to come have a drink with me. And so he invites everybody. And in the RSVPs ahead of time, out of those 700 people, 15 said, yes, I'm going to come. Another 60 said, yeah, I might be able to make it. And he thought, if we can get 20 people there, this would be a huge success. So the night comes, He shows up, he waits, and one person comes. And the woman who showed up was someone Hal did not even know. She was a friend of a friend who had seen the event online. She came, they had a little bit of small talk, and she left. He waited for a few more hours until midnight, finally gave up, went to the bar and ordered a beer. And he concludes his article with these words. 
700 friends, but I was drinking alone. In the digital age, we can have scores and scores and scores of friends and yet be scrolling alone, eating alone, drinking alone, watching alone. There's an MIT professor, Sherry Turkle, who wrote a book called Alone Together, which is how a lot of us spend the digital age. Her subtitle is, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other. Church, there's an incredible opportunity in the digital age to look at the life of Jesus who was present to the world and his community in the moment. And as we follow that example, looking at Jesus who showed up, looking at Jesus who gave his attention to others, looking at Jesus who was committed to in-person community, looking at Jesus as we follow his example, that's gonna push against the grain of culture, but guess what, there is increasingly more and more people out there who are lonely, looking for a place to belong. And I wanna tell somebody like Hal, you're not gonna find it at the bar, and you're not gonna find it online. The church can offer something different at our best when we are present and loving others. In fact, that's part of what Jesus said, that when he was talking about this and said to his disciples in John 13, love one another as I have loved you, then he says, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus indicates that the world is watching and will notice Christ-like behavior. Basically, in, in today's day and age, there is increasingly more and more people who are watching the digital and physical lives of followers of Jesus. And this is a time when it matters so much that Jesus didn't just teach a way that was a personal faith between me and God, a way that was only about being right with God, but a way that was also focused on loving others, that what Jesus taught, what he modeled, had both vertical between us and God and horizontal us and others implications. It was a year ago, just about, that a church planner came, stood on this stage. His name's Pastor Kenny Hart. He preaches at the gathering in Harlem, one of the church plants we're proud to support. And he was guest preaching for us. And he was talking about this, this very idea and said this, if you only care about right relationship with God, but not right relationship with people, you don't have a cross, you have a stick. Yeah, that'll preach. It punched me in the gut the first time I heard it, and I thought, oh man, how many times inadvertently have I made being right a weapon and then treated others wrongly? How many times have I attempted to win the debate and lose the person and sacrifice the relationship? It's just, in those moments, my behavior inadvertently becomes my own obstacle to reaching people and loving people well. It's funny, it was a couple weeks ago, I, I, uh, at the beginning of this series, I was heading to dinner to meet my family, and I was getting in the car, and so I texted my wife to let her know that I was on my way. And, and so I texted on my way, and then she sent back a text I didn't understand until I realized auto, autocorrect had subverted me. And here's the text. I accidentally texted in my way. And she shot back, well, get out of your way then. <laughs> Church, sometimes we need to get out of our own way. 
Sometimes we would be better off less filtered in our photos and more filtered in our comment sections because it is easy to get in our own way by writing things online we would never say in person. It is easy to go to the hot take and the all caps and suddenly I'm just in it and I'm, I'm no longer interacting with someone that God loves, that I'm called to love. I'm just, I'm just in debate mode. And in those moments, there are people who are watching. They may not like the post, but as one of my pastor friends says, they may have lurked it. <laughs> and they saw, and we may be inadvertently communicating a message that we do not intend. There's a friend across town, he's a friend of our church, a preacher named Chris Seedman, and he told me this story about a man who came to his church. The man was from a Muslim background, but he was exploring the truths of Jesus. And over time, praise God, this, this man from this Muslim family was baptized and put his faith in Jesus. And after that happened, Chris asked him, what's the hardest thing about taking this step and the man said, well, the first hardest thing was no contest. It was how my family would respond to me leaving Islam. But that wasn't the only thing that the man said. He added, but you know, the second hardest thing was how Christians behave online. And Chris listened as he explained that this man, who's a Muslim living in today's world and in our country, had all kinds of friends online and people he could connect with online who said they were followers of Jesus, but the way they behaved online didn't make him want to follow Jesus, didn't make him interested in Jesus. And he said there was this huge disconnect between what he saw online from people he knew who were Christians and how he was actually treated when he came to a church. But the Christians he met, the church family that he started to be a part of, welcomed him and loved him and cared for him and valued him first and foremost as an image bearer who's made in the image of God, who's loved by God. And you kind of had to get to this place to go, all right, well, I guess there's just a disconnect and I can't define the church by how it acts online. Scripture says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and I would add the fingers type. And we have to realize that there is a great opportunity in loving others well, in how we act in person with our attention and how we interact online. There's a great opportunity. And Jesus, well, that's why he said, the world will know based on how you love one another. The good news is that with Christ leading us, changing us, inviting us to trust him and his way, with his spirit reshaping our hearts, what Jesus indicates is that the world can be reached. The way I'd put it is, loving like Jesus gets the world's attention. The, the world, and especially the internet, I mean, they're, they're used to the angry stories. They're used to the all caps. They're used to the cancel culture with little room for forgiveness or redemption. They're used to that. And they're even used to seeing people who are part of the church play into that. They're used to outrage. But but what gets the world's attention is when all of a sudden we move from any of that and even move past just having a polite culture to moving to a place where we're not just nice, but we move to a place of self-giving and self-sacrifice. 
the world notices a kind of love that costs us something, even our pride, sometimes especially our pride. And when Jesus talked about this with his disciples at this meal, a couple chapters later, he says it again, love each other as I have loved you. And then he adds, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's an incredible thought. And I read that and realized, you know what, there's, there's a lot of different great examples of people in our church and in the church at large who have embodied that. And there was one specific that came to mind I want to give you a little context. So last month, we were in a series called uh, Generosity is Genius, and we actually wanted to interview and feature this particular member for a step that she was taking. But uh, the way it worked out schedule-wise and her health, we just, we had to delay and we couldn't make it happen. And inadvertently, after that, as we, in the weeks that followed, a local news station covered her story. And so I, I want you to watch this and get a little snippet of the story of one of our members, Sarah Schechter. Watch this. Sarah Schechter is the head of lower school at the Oak Ridge School in Arlington, Texas. My 144 kids are what I get up every day. And she will soon prove she is everything she preaches. I feel good about it, like I know it's the right thing to do, but am I still scared? Yes. This was six days before a major surgery. That is very nice, very well done. A surgery doctors didn't order, but her heart did. And you think of a thousand reasons why you shouldn't do it. <laughs> For me, I just couldn't, it couldn't be avoided. Where I'd go to church, it seemed like the sermon was about giving a kidney. Of course it wasn't, but that's what it felt like. Sarah is donating a kidney, so an example of the character she wants every kid on campus to emulate, and something for three of her students to celebrate. We're not really related, so it's great that you're not part of my family and you're still doing it. William is in third grade. Okay. Okay. Sydney fourth. All right. See you later. Miss Lewis came in and she was telling me that. I was like, what? And Aaron is in eighth. And to think that they could lose their dad when they're just kids in school just is so sad that I just, that's my main thing. I just want them to have their dad. Thank you. Mm, you're welcome. I'm glad I could do it for you. Here's dad. There she is. Seeing donor. Hey. <laughs> How are you feeling? Fantastic. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. 24 hours after the transplant at UT Southwestern Medical Center. Hey, guys. Hey, sweetheart. These two didn't know each other well. Yeah, ready? Despite different ages, genders, and races, oh. they were a perfect match. No one was surprised that she would do something like this. And that just shows you the type of person that she is. When I say prayers, I'm just proud of that kidney. <laughs> Nate Jones never asked anyone to give him a kidney. It was meant to be. Meant to be. Mm-hmm. But at Oak Ridge, they teach. All right. You don't need to be asked. Have a good one. To answer. See y'all. Have a good evening. Um, it's just incredible. And... Loving Like Jesus gets the world's attention. Because here's the thing, after, after the local affiliate ran that story, then the national news found out, and they picked it up, and it, and it was on ABC National, and then Good Morning America decided to cover it, and then Sarah was interviewed on NPR's Morning Edition. And so all of a sudden, during a series about the digital age, one of our members went viral online with a story of self-sacrifice and Christ-like love. It's an incredible thing, and I talked to Sarah this week, and she said, this has become this incredible opportunity 
to talk to people about the real motivation for this. You heard her in that interview talk a little bit about church. In other interviews, she, they, there's, there's in, including her, her motivation of faith and her love and how God has, has given us what we need and how we then get to give others what they need. It's just an awesome thing because it's a reminder over and over again. When those stories pop up, even if we're not the ones giving the kidney, even if we're not the ones in the story, Christians get to highlight and point out and say, this is what it looks like. This is a love that is self-sacrificing for somebody that I don't know well, that makes the world look and go, oh, okay, that's different. And once the world is paying attention, well, Sarah and so many others, we have this opportunity to talk about our Lord and Savior, about His love. Because part of what we need to understand in today's age, and it's been this way since the moment that the gospel was first being, being spread, Love is always on mission. When we love others, man, that's not a distraction from the purpose of the church. That's part of the mission of the church. It's always on mission to love others. It always opens a door to love others. And not only that, but one of the most loving things we can do is begin to share with people the truth of who Jesus is and what he offers in forgiveness and hope and salvation and wholeness and a better way of life today. And What's incredible is that the technological developments have given us amazing platforms by which we can do this. That's been true for a long time. So I wasn't sure if I was gonna share this or not, but I stumbled on this book, it's from the 70s, and it's called Guidelines for Urban Church Planting. In one of the chapters, they talk about all these different cities around the world and all these different urban centers. And one of the chapters is from a missionary in Mexico City who was running a mass communication center. They were doing radio programs and showing short films in a little theater. Looks a little bit different than our day and age. And at the same time, in this chapter, the missionaries wrestling with and talking about the same kind of things we're talking about. They write and say, if we look back in history, we find that in each era, God provided the channels of communication required to further his cause in the world. It goes on to talk about the Roman road system being this incredible means by which the church began to spread and the the letters to the early church that now make up the inspired New Testament was spread all over. Talks about the Reformation movement and the, the Gutenberg press and all of a sudden the study of the written word and then talks about today. They write and say, technology should be viewed not as a threat but as an instrument for accomplishing God's redemptive purpose in the world. God knew what he was doing when he gave us media for our day and generation. Man, I needed to hear that again all the way back from the 70s. Like, God knew what he was doing when he put us in the digital age, and there is incredible opportunity to advance his gospel, to spread his love. I loved hearing, as we started this series, from different people who are doing that in different ways. I found out that there's there's a couple of our members who a couple decades ago started a nonprofit called the Heartlight Network and they run a couple different websites that have Christ- Christian resources. One of them is called Verse of the Day. And I was astounded to find out that Verse of the Day sees over half a million guests each month. When they let me know that, they shared a little quick story about when uh, inadvertently, this is a crazy story, the, the pop star Justin Bieber was exploring Christianity and without warning, he posted a link to Verse of the Day in his Instagram account. He has like 80 plus million followers. So all of a sudden they had hundreds of thousands of pings coming in every hour just over and over and over again because of that one post of people encountering God's word. 
I, uh, I talked to another member who happens to be one of our el- elders who was on an LST trip. Let's start talking. They teach English uh, by wa- walking through the Gospel of Luke. Well, they were in a, refu- in a Muslim refugee camp in Athens, and all of a sudden he, he pulled up the Version Bible and pulled up the Farsi translation. And the refugees were stunned to realize you could get the Bible on your phone. And guess what? Refugees, they may not have much, but they have phones. And they have phones that can download apps. And so all of a sudden, through a Muslim refugee camp, there's a bunch of people downloading the YouVersion Bible app and pulling up the Farsi translation and encountering God's Word in their native tongue. There's incredible opportunity. And you know what? It can happen in the most unexpected ways and places. So I'm going to break one of my rules. I almost never have two videos in one sermon, but uh, this, this story, number one, was too cool not to share. And number two, this is the Digital Age series, so we got two videos. Deal with it. So this, key, this comes from our West Fort Worth campus. I love this story. Check this out. So at our house, we have two dogs, eight chickens, a couple thousand bees. But if you really want to find out where my son is, go see if he's playing Fortnite. I was heading home from uh, from work one night. I remember Phoenix giving me a call. He decides to tell me about his friend Ian. So he's he's gotten several of his friends to come and he wanted to bring Ian to church. So he is talking to him on the game, you know, and they converse back and forth through their headsets. And he said he was talking to Ian about church and everything. And I guess uh, Ian's mom had overheard what they were talking about. It began because I started having this need to go back to church. And then they were playing Fortnite, and then um, Ian came into the room where I was and said, hey mom, you know, my friend wants to know if I can go to church with him tonight. And I'm like, well, what friend? And he's like, Phoenix. I'm like, well, what church? And he's like, the hills. Finally, Ian gets on his, you know, hits the speaker button and allows me to talk to Phoenix myself. And then I started asking Phoenix a ton of questions. <laughs> I, I, I want to be baptized, I need to be baptized, but I don't know how to go about doing it. Me and his mom started talking about baptism and my faith and the hills and how we grow and make followers of Jesus. It seems just so random that you're on the phone with your friend's mom while playing Fortnite talking about faith. And then when I got off the phone with him, I got online into the Hills website and just read everything. In less than an hour, I had read everything. I had looked at every single video. And one of the videos was um, Pastor Ashley and Taylor Walling talking about baptism. The first day we walked into the hills, we walked in and it was just like home. I've never had a feeling like that before walking into any church. And we began conversations with them about faith and about um, what baptism is, who the hills really is and what we're about. And um, through all of this um, working that God was doing, um, Rick and Carol um, decided to give their life to Christ at the hills right before we moved to our new building. And so it was one of those really cool moments where you see the faith of your children impact how you live your life and maybe challenge even you a little bit to do some more about it. So you can be young inviting someone older, older inviting inviting someone young and it just, it doesn't really matter about age, it just matters about how Jesus is inviting everyone. My son playing a video game with one of his friends was the last place I thought that we'd ever find a way to church. It's been a blessing. 
it's amazing how he can communicate with you when you don't even know you're expecting it. Oh, man. So you don't have to donate an organ. You might just be playing video games. Okay? Like, that's the spectrum because God can work in any of those settings. There is always an opportunity because love is always on mission. And the mission is, again, to come back over and over and over again to what God did for us, his mission. And that shows us what love is. First John 4 says that this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And how did God do that? Well, by redeeming some of the worst of human innovation. That's what the cross was. It was a Roman technology purposed for pain. And Jesus said, what if I purpose it for glory? That God decided, I'm going to take some of the worst of human technology and make it the centerpiece of my saving work. Are you kidding me? That's why the Apostle Paul goes off in Colossians and says, He, God, forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. But here's the good news. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. How, God? How did you do this? By triumphing over them by the cross. Look, God can redeem Fortnite because he redeemed the cross. God can redeem our, our social media lives because he redeemed the cross. God can redeem our screen time because he redeemed the cross. God can redeem anything because he's already showed us how he can redeem the worst to bring about the best. And so it doesn't matter what age we live in, what time in history, God is continuing to redeem for his mission of love. And through that, then there's always an opportunity to share and to once again go, God, thank you, we praise you, and to let his saving work fill us again with his love that flows back up to him and out to others. Let's pray together. God, you're so good. It's just, it's, it's too good. So look at how you redeem, how you resurrect, how you repurpose, how you surprise us again and again. God, would you fill our hearts with hope because you are not done reaching the world. You are not done spreading your love. You are not done saving souls. Lead us and guide us to trust you and the work you're doing among us. In Jesus' name, amen.